Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. So, uh, starting in uh, verse 2 of Acts chapter 17, it says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on... Three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined, Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men to the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And then in verse 10, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So here are two different outcomes of the gospel message. Uh, Do you ever wonder why people end up in in different places spiritually? Like how can people, how how people can, can hear the same message and then go in completely opposite directions? Um, but we have the we have the answer here in Scripture. We have a case study of two groups of people, the Jews in the city of Thessalonica, and then the Jews in the city of Berea. They are compared here by their virtue. Verse eleven here says that these in Berea they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Many people are like the Thessalonian Jews today. They hear the gospel, they hear this gospel message, and and then they find reasons to reject it. Um, they, they trust that they already are right and, and, and or, or that they already know the truth. They trust in their own ways of thinking or, or what scientists have told them. They trust popular media. Uh, but when God's message comes to them, they don't care to trust it. And that's not what we want to be. We want to be like the people in Berea who were more noble. We want to have the spirit of the Bereans. How can, we, um, how can we pursue a spirit that God commends as a more noble-minded way of living, a way of, a way of receiving and thinking about the gospel that will bless us as we try to serve God and, and to work together and engage people in this world? In this text here, we're in the middle of Paul's uh, second missionary journey. Paul has a dream, and and a man from Macedonia says says to come over to Macedonia and help us. So so Paul goes to Macedonia, and immediately there's there's trouble. He has this trouble. He goes he goes to the city of Philippi, where he preaches, and then he is thrown in prison. And of course, Paul preaches to the jailer, uh, but then they send Paul out of town. So he goes to Thessalonica, and, and there's more trouble there. 
Uh, he goes into the synagogue and he, he begins to preach and things go well for a short time. But then some of the Jews are jealous, as we read, and they start some trouble. Paul is ushered out of the city before he can even settle in at all. Uh, and so there is rejection that, he, that keeps following Paul until he gets to Berea. In Berea, he finds a different audience. Here in verse 10, it says again, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The text in verse 11 says these Jews were more noble. This this is a word that can either mean a noble birth or a noble character. Uh, They were people to be admired. They were people to be emulated. It says that they were more noble because they received the word with they received the word with all eagerness, okay? They were ready to look at what Paul was saying and not just dismiss it immediately. They weren't trying to justify what they were already doing. If there was, if there was a new teaching, they were eager to hear it. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. The word examine here is a word that's intended to talk about judicial investigation, when, when there's a court case, for instance, how you examine the evidence. Uh, one scholar wrote that this word involves the idea of careful study, evaluation, and judgment. This word describes how these people listened to Paul. They wanted to study and investigate. Is this what God, they're saying, is this what God is truly saying? It says they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The word to see if they were so indicates that they were looking to see if this is true. Is there truth behind what Paul is saying? The way we discover whether something is true is to compare it against the word of God. Um, because the word of God, of course, is truth. Our motto here at this house church, our motto is, what does the Bible say? That's our motto. Not, what do we assume the Bible says in order to defend our traditions? That's not our motto. Our motto is simply, what does the Bible say? And they wanted to know, is Paul speaking truth? And they were eager. They were eager to find out. So the Berean spirit teaches us that truth deserves our eagerness. The spirit that the Bereans, that the spirit that the Bereans have presupposes that something, something is true because they wanted to, they wanted to discover if these things were so. They wanted to uncover the truth. Uh, either Paul was telling the truth or he was lying. Either Jesus was risen from the dead or he wasn't. Uh, either he was the, either he was the Messiah or he was not the Messiah. But you can't have both. The goal of their examination was not just so that they could be right, though. That was not their goal. It is about truth. Truth at its core deserves a proper reaction from us because truth is from God. And I need to see what truth is and what it can do. Truth deserves eagerness because of what it can do. In, uh, in John chapter 8, starting in verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
In this context, he's talking about being set free from sin. Jesus is saying, you can be free when you know truth. In its nature, truth liberates us from the tyranny of uncertainty and the tyranny of lies. How do you know if, if what someone says is true or not? Um, how, we have that problem in our, in our time, I think, in the world all the time. How can we be certain of what we hear is true in anything that we see in media or anything else? Uh, how can we be certain a, a politician is, is telling the truth? You know, the old saying goes, if his lips are moving, he's lying, right? Um, how can we be certain of the real facts about what's going on? Jesus says, when you know the truth, the truth makes you free. Uh, and that's what truth does. Truth liberates us from sin because when we see truth, we see ourselves as we really are. And we see the world as it really is. We see God as he really is. We see that we need something to set us free from sin. We see that Jesus is pivotal in importance to us in this. If we don't see this, then we are stuck in the dark. We don't have the liberating power of truth. And Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Seeking truth is not just so we can be right. It is so we can be free. Hebrews 4, uh, this is a, in, a, in the section of Hebrews at the, at the end of a long section of quotations from the Old Testament. And it seems that the Hebrew author uh, steps back and says, that's a lot of Old Testament quotes. I get it, but here's why. And starting in verse 12, he says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God is living and active. These are the words, these are words that were, they were written long before he wrote this, but they applied in this time and they apply today. These were written about the Israelites and their disobedience, but they apply today. In the same way, we read, we read the words that are, these words that are 2,000 years old, and yet, and yet we say that applies today. Um, and that's what the Word of God does. He says it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He describes it as a sword that cuts and separates and makes things clear. He says it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you want to know what someone's heart is like and who they really are, give them the word of God and see what they do with it. It will discern and divide people into the category of those who, like the Jews in Thessalonica, reject, or like the Jews in Berea, come to believe. James, James, in his book, says it's like a mirror that shows you who you really are. That is the power of God's word, and it's truth. Truth shows me who, as, I, as I really am, not as I see myself, which is colored by, it's colored by our own biases and, and our own expectations of us. Uh, not as you see me, which is an incomplete picture, that's for sure, but as God sees me. All things are naked and open to his eyes. That's what truth is, and that's why it deserves our eagerness, because it shows us, it shows us as we really are. 
The other uh, part of, of truth that is significant is that we need to remember that the devil is at work and his, his tools are lies. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all they, all, uh, no, excuse me, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The devil is doing work of spreading lies and wicked deception. And the victims of the wicked deception of Satan are those who do not love the truth. Those who had pleasure, it says, in unrighteousness and did not believe the truth. Truth becomes of vital importance because without, without the truth, we are the victims of Satan and his, and his web of lies. Um, this becomes more and more, to me, this becomes more and more clear the bigger the internet gets. If you ever wonder <clears throat> how many lies there are in the world, take a minute to, and, 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 and to do it, just do an internet search of any Bible question you might have. You will get more ideas and more thoughts and more direction than you could ever possibly exhaust on the internet, Right? The more technology we have, the more opportunities there are for lies to spread. In our time, truth has become each person's own foundationless viewpoint. And now more than ever, now more than ever, we need people to say, no, it doesn't matter what you think or what I think. I need to know what's true and what is right. And that's what God's word is. When we understand that about God's word and that it it will set us free, like we said, and, and that it will make us clearly shown to be who we are and who God is, we will see that truth becomes the most important thing we can pursue. It becomes of vital important, importance to us. Back to Acts 17, verse 11, again, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. It says, they examined the word with all eagerness. Truth deserves eagerness and, and an actionable spirit like the Bereans had. They wanted to know what was true, and they got to work. There is no indication, okay? There's no indication in this text that the Bereans were a bunch of Bible nerds, right? Who nerded out on, on obscure Bible trivia for the next episode of Bible Jeopardy, right? We watched that show. They were not just the, the exclusive elite who were able to examine the scriptures. These were people who worked to find truth. Um, they examine the scriptures daily. It says they probably didn't have a copy like we do of the entire collected scripture. They definitely didn't have, obviously, a copy of the New Testament, and they probably didn't have a copy of the Old Testament. They probably had to travel to the synagogue and take time out of their day to go to the synagogue and unroll the scrolls and, and look at what was in it. They're looking through the scripture with careful investigation to see whether these things were so. They had an eagerness that comes because they want to know what's true. So it can be daunting, I think, to talk about Bible study this way. It, it, and it can be intimidating because there are always people who 
have studied a lot more and for a lot longer than than we have. There, there are these guys over here that have mastered ancient Greek language and Jonah's studying ancient Hebrew, my goodness. So you might ask as you go and you study the scriptures, well, what can I do? You know, if, if you have these people surrounding us, what can I do? What could I uncover with people like that around me? But this is not about needing to know so that I can win uh, an argument or, or I need to know so that um, I can set the record straight. This is about knowing what's true so that I can be right with God. That's it. I want to be right with God, so I need to know for me. I don't want you standing in for me before God. I don't want to say to God, well, I know I should have known, but I listened to the wrong guy and I didn't study it for myself, right? I want to know what is truth because I must stand before God myself. So I become eager instead of being just resigned to those more knowledgeable around me. I begin to examine not to confirm what I already think, or, or to defend what I already do, but because I want to know what's true. Lord, set me free from sin. Show me as I am. Help me to discern what is a lie and what is true. We need to remember that careful Bible study and seeking the truth is always our friend, always our friend. There is never a point where we should be intimidated or frightened by the idea that we should study the Bible. Truth has nothing to fear from honest investigation ever. And Jesus has some things to, to say about how we appro- approach um, these truth claims here in John chapter 7. He shows us that one of the most important things about examining truth claims is our motives, our personal motives. In John chapter 7, these, these people here, they are wrestling with the question of whether Ju- Jesus truly is the Messiah, whether he's the prophet, is he from God, is he a deceiver, what do we do with this Jesus guy? John chapter 7, starting in verse 16. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the, tr- whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. This is very reassuring, a very reassuring verse because Jesus says to confused people, if your will is to do God's will, you will know about whether the teaching I'm speaking is for myself or whether I'm speaking for God. You will know if your motives are pure. If your will is to do the will of the Father, you will know. And that's extremely important. It matters whether we truly want to do the will of God. It matters. Why do we study the Bible? Do we study the Bible because it's Sunday and that's just what we're supposed to do? Do we study the Bible because that's what people told me I'm supposed to do? Do we study the Bible because we've got some practices that we're supposed to defend? Do we study the Bible because sometimes there are people who have questions and, you know, I just want to be sure and set them straight and study the Bible that way? Or do we study the Bible because we want to do the will of the Father? If we study the Bible outside of that, then our motives, they might be impure, if we have the eagerness and the pure motive to seek to seek it with the right heart, then we will find the truth of God by doing his will. But we need to be careful in the way that we study the Bible. It's not going to get us where we want to go if we ignore context. Okay? 
There's too many mistakes are made in modern Christianity by ignoring context. Too many mistakes are made by ignoring language purposes. Sometimes language in the Bible is not literal, and sometimes it's not figurative. It, it means what it says sometimes, and it and it and it some other times it, it it might mean something that's similar because it's just figurative, and not literal. It doesn't help us to ignore those things. Those are standard Bible study techniques. But we don't do that because we want to be Bible nerds, right? We do it because truth deserves eagerness. And I want to be eager in how I study the word, just like the Bereans were. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Test everything. Hold fast to what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is the, Christ, the spirit of the Christian right here. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Testing. This is the idea of comparing and seeing if something's true. That's the Berean spirit. He says, you test everything. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. If someone comes claiming to have prophecies speaking for God, test everything. That is the eagerness that truth demands. Every truth claim deserves our attention, and every truth claim must go through the test. Is it so? Is it true? Is it according to the word? That means that we are eager to hear, always, always willing to reconsider, sure, but we never forgo the test, okay? always test everything it says. And I emphasize this because sometimes we tend to think that we outgrow the need to test all things and we become complacent. Uh, We used to be, maybe in our younger Christian life, we used to be eager to study if it were truth or not. And now we've just determined what is truth and we've stopped studying. So now I'm just going to defend it instead of seeking it. Our language changes. Instead of we are seeking the truth, we say we have the truth. Instead of saying we are trying to discover whether this is so, we say, no, this is what's so, and now we're here to defend it. And there's a very subtle change that happens there. All throughout biblical history, you see uh, you see this where you have a Josiah and a Hezekiah and a Nehemiah, right? And they produce these great reforms, where, where there's a restoration and we go back to the principles of God's word and we're seeking and there's this great spirit. It's the Berean spirit. But then something happens after, after that over time. There's a hardening and people change. Then, then we're back to square one where we're just doing things because that's what we do. That's our tradition and, and I'm not going to test it against scripture. We, we begin to defend the status quo because it's the status quo. And we're, no, and we're no longer examining and going to the scripture to see what is true. We should be warned about being that way. So there are a lot of older Christians in here who've spent a lot of their lives searching the scriptures. They've wrestled with questions that, that I haven't even gotten to yet. Many of us haven't gotten to yet. They've decided this is what's true. I'm going to do what's true, right? And then there are some younger Christians uh, in the opposite spectrum. They're on the opposite spectrum, and, and they're just beginning 
they're suddenly open their eyes to see all kinds of truth claims and all kinds of questions. So they start digging and examining the scriptures to see what it, what if they what they believe if what they believe is so. The danger is that the younger people can they can look at the older people and say, "You guys aren't searching anymore. You already think you've all got it figured out. You already think you you know you you're just setting your ways." And the younger people might denigrate the study and the effort of so many decades spent searching the scriptures. On the other side is is the older Christians might look at at the younger folks and say, you guys are just a bunch of rookies questioning everything. Could you just pipe down? You know, just pipe down and be quiet. They might assume that because younger Christians are seeking that they have bad motives. But the truth, the truth should be that young or old, we don't outgrow the Berean spirit. We never grow to a point that we don't need to examine again and look afresh at what God's word says and whether and whether what is taught is true. But but for for those of us who are younger, I know I've got gray in the beard, but I'm the younger guy here. There needs to be for 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 us young Christians, there needs to be a deference and a respect for those who are older, okay? We need to remember that these are people who deserve our respect for their walk with the Lord. Uh, for those who, who are older, maybe, don't assume that us younger Christians are up to no good. Younger Christians are doing exactly what the, script, the Scripture teaches them to do. When we search together, though, we, when we say, let's talk about that, let's ask that question, let's have that Bible class, let's throw that wide open, what we're doing is saying, let's go back to Berea. Because we want to know the truth, and that deserves a certain kind of spirit and eagerness that we all need to share in. So as a church family, this this must be who we are. We can't let this spirit die here. This spirit says there is no question that's off the table. There's no topic that we're not going to address of a biblical nature. We want to know the truth because the truth will set us free. Truth deserves eagerness, and and we can't let that spirit die. Back to the beginning, Acts 17, verse 12. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. We should love this spirit, because when people have this spirit, they're going to end up believing. The people who have this that spirit, they, they end up being Christians, they end up being believers, and they end up being disciples. Because that's what that's the spirit that they have. They wanted to do the will of God, and that's who we want to be as Bereans. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.